Today's episode, we're going to talk about establishing a baseline. What is it? How do we use it? What are other places that also use baselines? How do we avoid common pitfalls? What's the benefit it's going to have for us? How we use it to detect deception and establish patterns, as well as other things beyond deception. So baselines, establishing a baseline and using it to our advantage. That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. Welcome to episode 50 of Gray Man Hiding in Your Plain Sight. I am your host, Shammer, which, yes, that is a nickname, which I believe I've explained before. I want to wish you all a happy new year. I decided to take the rest of the year off other than this podcast. I also decided to delay after my other one because of the holidays. I know people have a lot of things going on, visiting family, traveling. While some of you may have appreciated the podcast, I too needed a little time away, but we're about to start the new year. So happy new year to everybody out there. Seems the running theme on most shows and people that are doing stuff is kind of doing the end of the year theme, not unlike what newscasters, news agencies do all the time where they talk about what they've done in the last year. And I'll share a little bit about that just because it's nice to see it grow in the realm of social media and podcasts, YouTube. I am extremely small, which is fine with me. We have a good following and people that ask questions and want to get involved and enjoy the show. So before we get into baselines, I'll just give you a quick overview. Right now, I verified that we are for sure on 17 different podcast platforms. Now, I'll tell you what those are in case you have friends that use one of these platforms that want to find us. And we're on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, and we are now on iHeartRadio at the request of one of the listeners. I got that figured out a couple months ago. We're also on PodBay, Radio Public, Listen Notes, Breaker, Pop Paradise, Pocket Cast, Listen, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Overcast, CastBox, Podcast Attic, and of course our host, Anchor FM, that distributes to all those other platforms for us. Now being small and not treating this like a full-time job and doing it more for a hobby, for some educational benefit, I haven't even been consistent in doing two shows a week, which was the original plan, but we have reached 50 episodes. We should have more next year. So we've grown by 8,700 followers right now as it stands. And I did another count today. We are now in 65 countries. Granted, 50 of them probably only have one person, but we're in 65 countries. Based on questions and interactions with people out there to listen to the show, I've verified that we, of course, have civilians that listen, as well as members of law enforcement, educators, contractors for the government, military personnel, some deployed around the world. And we've had, at this point, over 33,000 plays, which for the amount of time and effort I put into it, I'm pretty happy with. One thing I did mention on a previous episode was the number one country wasn't just the United States. I mentioned it was Texas. Unfortunately, Texas, you've been beat out by California. California holds 11% of our listeners and Texas holds nine, which is more than most other countries. But I don't know, maybe it's the COVID lockdowns or something else going on. Our female listeners are up to 16% from less than 1%. In just a few months. I looked at the states in the United States. The top 10 states. Nine out of the top 10 states. Number 10 being Texas. Are what we would call liberal states. Or states that are typically very close in their electoral process. And I'm not sure why that is. Could just be luck. Luck of the draw. It could be the new people on Amcon that are listeners now. Could have to do with the election. Could have to do with things like lockdowns. And things people don't like. Could just be you guys sharing it with everybody else. Could be people using this for 
Bad reasons, who knows? But I found that interesting. But those are my stats. That's all I got to say. Nothing more much happened with that. Um, I did get a question I do want to ask. I've, I've been asked this before, and I think I've skipped over it. It was a preparedness question, and it was pretty simple. It was just, if you're getting into things like preparedness, where should you start? Where's the best place to start? And I had questions about that that are looking more for my thoughts. People have seen other channels or talked to their friends. Some of it's about money issues, just generally not knowing. So my example for this answer is very simple. I remember a survival school I wanted to go to. It's a civilian course. I'm not even sure if it still exists because it was a few years ago and I just kind of lost track of it. But one of their claims to fame and people that gone to the school thought it was a pretty good one was the whole idea was about, it surrounded about a knife. The idea was properly prepared. A survivalist who has the knowledge could be handed a knife and walk into the woods and survive having nothing else. Now, I believe that's true if you have the knowledge and, of course, the practical experience, speaking into whatever you learn you need to practice, and we learn by teaching. But the point to that is, think about any time you learn something, right? If you're in school, you're in college, you pay to take a class, you're in the military, you got training at work. Even if there's PowerPoint slides or literature, to a large extent, the instructors are teaching from knowledge, whether it's just repetitively teaching this math class forever or being a very senior or expert authority in that field. So where you should start to me is a library, knowledge. I'm a big fan of books and information, especially that that you can hold on to. So when electronics and power go out, knowledge is really the key, especially when you have something like a book that you can take with you, no matter what the subject is that you're studying, knowledge is power, as they say. And that's where you have to start. And the thing is, even people that don't say that, I'm not saying they're wrong. I don't think they're wrong at all. I'm just giving you my opinion. But everybody does, to a certain degree, start with knowledge, even if they don't start with building a library. Because they go online and ask people like me these questions. And it's because they've been getting information and talking to people and reading articles and watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts on whatever subject they're doing it on. This just happens to be preparedness. They're seeking out knowledge. I just think you should build a library of that knowledge. Include note-taking. You know, when you buy books, mark them up. Use highlighters. Use pens. Make notes in the book. Just like you're going to school on any subject you like. So I think knowledge is the number one thing. And I think the first thing you should start with is a library. And you'll find over time that you have a nice library built up. And you'll also, as knowledge grows, find books that you no longer like. Or think, this is really good for the new guy. But now that I've been doing this for a while doesn't help me that much anymore. And you may become somewhat of an expert just on the library. So that's my answer. The library is where you should start. Now for the baseline, we're not talking about baseball or base players. We're talking about a pattern. Okay, it is a pattern. It's not a rule. So don't think of this as some hard, fast rule. It's a pattern we're trying to identify and establish, typically in individuals, but it also can be in locations. What we're looking for in that pattern is what we'd call something reliable, a consistent behavior that we can count on. Now this becomes a little tricky, I would say, when it comes to the whole gray man concept and detecting deception, because with skill and time, you can do it quick, but you got to really do it quickly. In seconds, if possible, but usually can take a few minutes. Other things will take longer. Baselines are used all the time. They're used in marketing and advertising. They establish the baseline of type of product, how much it sells, how much it does here in this region, these types of stores. They profile customers. 
Baseline is a type of profile. They also do it with trading, like trading stocks and that kind of thing. They look for baseline behaviors to establish and identify trends, to signal them on what they need to do or look out for or decisions they need to make. So a baseline itself in a person can be a trend because it can change based on location and situation. That would be considered normal. But it's learning to identify those different traits. It's a mistake to think that even if you properly establish a baseline to somebody, that that's how it is all the time. Events, holidays, stress, all kinds of stuff change those. Baselines regularly evolve and change naturally based on situations. Simple example I wrote down was the grocery store. Here in America, we celebrate Thanksgiving in November. You go to the grocery store, let's say, every Wednesday. Thanksgiving is always on a Thursday. You always go to the grocery store on Wednesday. You do it for very specific reasons, whether it's just your schedule or what you like about the store at the time. But there is a baseline. There is a regular, consistent pattern you can count on. Go into your grocery store at Wednesday. It will say 10 a.m. However, if you go there on Wednesday at 10 a.m., the day before Thanksgiving, it is not like every other Wednesday, or at least non-holiday ones. The baseline is different. You notice that, whether you plan or prepare for it or not. Or if you come to America, you've never been here before, you don't know much about Thanksgiving, and you go every day at Wednesday at 10, then you go the day before Thanksgiving, you might be a little shocked at what you find. But you will learn that that is a normal baseline. It's not normal to the regular behavior and pattern you'd seen throughout the year, but for that specific time frame, being a holiday and a grocery store and a holiday around food, it is actually natural and normal baseline change. So don't freak out when baselines change. Identify why have they changed. What is important about that change? Does it matter? Other things we can see too about baselines and people. I grew up going to church. Now this is just based on my experience, not taking shots at religion in general. But many people that went to church had a baseline behavior when they were at church or any church function. And they were different outside of church. Now, I was taught to believe that that was normal. I was also taught to believe that that was bad. Over time, I realized that people act differently in different situations, and that doesn't mean it's wrong. If their behavior was appropriate and professional, if it needed to be professional, but to that environment, that might be consistently normal. And I realized over time that here's a person, decent person, decent guy. Here's how he behaves at church. Here's how he behaves at work. Here's how he behaves around his friends. I realized everybody does that. And if you can identify that they're not being fake, that's just who they are. They just adjust to their environment. You've established several baselines. The baseline for church, the baseline for work, the baseline for the friends as an example. And you could put those together and call them an overall baseline to what you could probably count on in a certain situation. What's great about that example? Sometimes different baselines collide. What happens if this guy has all his church friends then goes and meets his regular friends and the people from work, assuming all three are different groups. How do they behave then? It's a good way to identify if it's really who they are or not. But you may see baselines collide and you may see a different baseline happen. So just realize they evolve and change naturally. Look at how people behave when there's a death in the family or when a child is born or holidays like Thanksgiving, holidays like Christmas or Hanukkah or any holiday you celebrate. Look at how people act on national drinking holidays. That's what we're in today. 
So I think everybody pretty much celebrates New Year's, but what's great about America is we like to create holidays to drink. That's how I look at it. Cinco de Mayo, Fourth of July, New Year's, St. Patty's Day is a big one. And some people act differently, even without the alcohol. Why? Because it's a party. It's a celebration, and people act differently. It's a different baseline than what they're doing everyday normal life, but there's an appropriate reason for it. This isn't about whether or not their behavior is appropriate necessarily. It's just what is the baseline behavior they have? How does it change based on location, situation, time frame, or any event or things going on in their life? What about the birth or the death? Somebody you don't know very well, you know them at work, you talk to them on occasion, they come in, you realize something's different. You might think it's wrong, you might think it's good, but you realize something is different. That's because this person you don't know much about, you didn't realize you had a baseline on them. You had subconsciously established a baseline as something's different, but you don't know why. You don't know why unless you talk to them in this situation because you noticed it. And you may find it's different because of something like a birth or a death as an example. So realize that just like I mentioned, most of our communication is nonverbal. It's body language. Almost all body language by most people goes unnoticed all the time. Even when I'm purposely doing it, I'm going to miss stuff. You pick up on all this stuff subconsciously, baseline's no different because the baseline is a form of communication. It's an established pattern. It has to do with their behavior, their speech, the way they talk, tone of voice, vocal quality, nonverbals, all kinds of reasons why these baselines change. Now, there are also expectations we can make before approaching individuals or locations that we're looking for baselines. Those expectations are things that are consistent among like items, like locations, or like people, meaning similar people, similar locations, similar items. One example is law enforcement. Not the people, but think a police investigation. Even if you're not familiar with anybody in law enforcement, you've probably seen this if you ever watched a show, TV show that has detectives. Not that they're completely real, but there are things that they look for. There are baselines to a crime scene that are established patterns and profiles based on years of study and experience that indicate certain things. That's how detectives and cops use things to conduct investigations. It's no different than things like counterintelligence personnel and other people, other law enforcement that perform these actions. You show up to a crime scene of whatever type, we'll say it's in a residence, and what are the things they look for based on the crime? It could be, was there a forced entry? Forced entry can tell them a lot of things. All kinds of stuff happened inside, but there's no forced entry. Or, well, this glass is broken that somebody would have reached into to gain access to this facility. But they can tell, was the glass broke from the inside or was it broke from the outside? There are people that do types of forensic analysis. It's things like, looking at the crime scene, figuring out where people were standing based on splatter of fluids or blood. They can do different things to identify based on this pattern. Here's what it tells me. Another thing are just reactions. Going back to birth and death. Generally speaking, based on your society where you're at, there tends to be a normal response for most people most of the time on any type of birth or death. This includes the related ceremonies as well as the related behaviors that are fairly typical. Now, people are different. There are people that act, treat things differently in certain situations. But there is a general consensus that you're going to have on how people in general behave in these situations, how men behave, how women behave, and how children behave. And then you look for those things that are different. Other examples are industry norms based on, say, your business or industry. 
what is normal to how businesses or your industry behaves in certain situations. Same thing with societal norms. There are things, everything from jokes, simple jokes, that are completely acceptable in some places and completely unacceptable in others. There are societal norms about dress and appearance, depending on where you're at and why. Just like think of it in high school, you go to a prom. Societal norm of how you should dress and behave at a formal dance in high school. There's a societal norm to how you behave and act outside of that dance, but still going to high school. What these are is expected behaviors. It's expected based on the industry or the societal norm or the event that this is how most people, most of the time, are probably going to react, which will be either one way or a list of very, a very short list of similar ways that they'll behave. When you see differences outside of those, the question you then ask yourself is, is this baseline that is different from 99% of the time or 80% of the time, is it actual normal appropriate for this individual? Is there a reason why for this individual be different? Or is this an indicator of something else like deception or in the case of a police investigation, guilty knowledge, involvement? Is there something else in their life that would cause them to behave differently? This is also part of what's done to a small degree based on my understanding in basic psychiatry and psychology of speaking to people based on their situations or mental health is types of things that they do based on their behavior could be indicators of certain conditions. Don't know that that's entirely accurate. That's just basically my understanding from a student I knew once when I had this conversation some years ago. One thing to consider too, to kind of sum up some of this, Baselines are not just one thing. The three primary ways you're going to see a baseline is it can be physical, things like body language. It can be emotional, which we can identify based on just physical reactions or conversations. It can also be mental, which typically we identify by how they're speaking or communicating, and it could involve two or all three of those subject areas, but it's primarily where we're going to see the baselines differ. Physical baselines, why they could be body language, you may see a physical baseline change due to injury. For example, how many times do you think you've really noticed somebody limping? It's because the limp tells us that it's something different about them, something that looks like an injury we're somewhat familiar with for some reason, whether we know it or not. It's also not normal to the scene, to the environment. Everybody seems to be walking fairly what we call normal, and then one guy's limping. That stands out the same way the baselines stand out in other ways if you either know how to look for them and identify them or if you just like a limp happen to pick up on it now when i teach baselines to people i tell them it's a three-step process this is just the way i explain it i don't know that this is clinically accurate if there even is a clinical study on it first thing is identifying trends now, whether you're doing this for a person or location and over a big picture time frame or something immediate, you're looking to identify trends. When I read body language to establish a baseline, when I used to interview people for joint task force, there are expectations based on the industry being the military and societal norms, societal norms being a formal interview that I would expect to happen and look for both good and bad. Then based on their reactions, very quickly, especially knowing how this whole thing starts, I would try to identify trends. Now, the thing is, for me, this would happen before the interview. I would see them and get a look at them when they came in and waited to see what they were doing. 
We'd also have other students that would be present that would discuss with us before or after with me, preferably before, on what they were seeing, what the individual was doing. Then there was the entire process of them coming in and doing the interview, and then also anything after the interview if they stayed in the area. I'd identify trends, patterns, things that they were doing, and try to determine as quick as possible whether or not it seemed normal. Most of the time, it fairly was. Once you identify that trends, that's when you're going to step two, which I actually just said out of order was identify trends. Number two is the establishing pattern. You see a series of trends. They tend to do this. They tend to do this. Then you match it up to a pattern. Just one thing happening over and over again is a trend. Doesn't mean it's a pattern. You match it up to, in my situation, using this example, the conversation, the environment, how they're behaving, how they're addressing people the tone of voice and everything involved in how questions are being asked and how they're answering. And I look for patterns. IX is queuing. I would do IX is queuing. We talked about that on a previous episode where I would use that to build in because I'm looking for truthfulness and accuracy and detecting deception. Then, even if you can do that, most people skip step number three. Step number three is reassess, basically start over. Things can change. When I did the interrogation podcast and I talked about Rapport building, interrogating people, and running approaches. I had mentioned a couple of times that you could go in, see same guy every day. You could do the same approaches, same rapport building. It could work a hundred times. There's no reason to believe it's going to work the same way tomorrow. It could change every single time, and you always have to go in and reevaluate and reassess and start over. I did that constantly when I did interviews because they could go on for ninety minutes in some situations, usually about thirty to forty-five. I'd reassess constantly. I would look for changes. I would look for updates. I didn't want to get stuck in that idea that for as much as I was confident in what I was doing, that I identified a trend, established a pattern, just stuck with that. I wanted to look for other changes. People become more comfortable, become more uncomfortable. Sometimes things just change because of time, whether they're comfortable or not. Or they change because of the conversation or the subject matter. And I was also looking for other signs. So the baseline helped me establish things. What else does it do? Go back to law enforcement. Baseline pattern of a crime scene. Based on their experience and profiling people and profiling these incidents and studying them over decades, there are things they expect to find and can guess or forecast as possibilities or strong leads, however they're doing it, based on the information they find there and how the detectives view the information and how the forensic guys and anybody else involves the information. When I would do this for people, for detecting deception, truthfulness, and actually, I'd do the same thing. I would see their baseline. Think of it just like IX is queuing, where I already knew the patterns or experienced patterns with other people in these similar situations. I would just try to highlight the unique differences about this individual, even though the general idea of this interview is the same for everybody, and figure out what is or isn't going to be different. I could forecast the possibility of how they're going to behave would help me in my job much easier because I identified this baseline. Without the baseline behavior, you're not shooting in the dark, but you're relying very heavily on very specific, unique things, and it's hard to see them all, especially with nonverbals. For those who listen to IX's cueing, which if you hadn't, you should go back and listen to it. When you're reading eye movements, when I describe that to you, the baseline is set. I mean, it's based on your brain, right? Let's say we didn't know that information. How long would it take to really identify what those eye movements could mean and how many possibilities and how many people think they knew what they are. It's probably how the whole process started. Before people spent years studying and evaluating that to come up with a 
repetitive, noticeable pattern that can be proven by science. When you don't have a baseline as a starting point, you're definitely held back quite a bit and can take you a lot longer. So the baseline is very important. The other thing with the baseline too is whether we're using that grocery store example or we're using that person we're interrogating, for example, or interviewing, we see the baseline, there's things we can do with that. One is grocery store. We have a Wednesday baseline, but now it's the day before Thanksgiving. Things are crazy. But you can adapt to it if you choose to stay. You can adapt to that baseline, kind of function and move with it as much as you can, or you can get in, get out. Could change how you're going to behave, but you can adapt to the baseline if you need to, which is really great when it has to do with persuasion and manipulation of an individual. The other thing you can do is try to change the baseline. Now, it can be hard to change the baseline in a grocery store on Thanksgiving, there's things I could think of, and I'm sure you could think of too. I'm not going to say on the podcast that would be very wrong, but possibly funny. But it'd be very difficult in that situation. However, with an individual, their baseline behavior, which I've done in interrogations, can be changed. Whether or not you're being truthful, there's times that we communicate certain things to certain people in certain ways in order to change their attitude or belief about how they're going to be treated. They had a baseline behavior based on their expectations of this situation they'd never been in before. And we would go in and try to change that if it was going to work to our benefit or we'd adapt to it. So an example, I'd mentioned one of the interrogation podcasts about talking to an individual who was with a rich dude who got caught. And it was the whole story about the truck. And let me tell you the story, stop me where I'm wrong. And basically he broke. In that situation, we tried to change his baseline expectation because he was so scared to give him a way out. But in other situations, whether people were already scared or not, we tried different approach techniques to kind of enhance a fear in some situations or other, what other feelings they had. We tried to attend, we tried to adapt to them to enhance them and kind of drive home. Yeah, you're right on point, buddy, to get them to do what we wanted. That's one way that you can use and adapt or change of what you identify in a baseline. Basically gave us another tool at that time to use in conjunction with everything else that got us where we wanted to go more efficiently and faster. Does it going to work all the time? No. But here's the thing. If you got a box of tools, you're not going to use all the tools all the time. But there are very common tools you may use. And it's good to have those tools around for those times when you need them. It's also good to know what tools will do things they're not supposed to do or what tools will do multiple things. Now, looking back at the expected repetitive behavior and the norms, industry norms, societal norms, those things we talked about, once we think we see this baseline or think we have it pretty much established after identifying trends and we're reassessing it, when we're reassessing it, we're looking for breaks, differences in norms. So an example with IX is queuing. They're doing recall, 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 then they do construction. Okay, so they do visual recall. Now they're doing visual construction. The question is why? Doesn't mean it's a lie. Could be memory gaps. It could be the way the question was phrased. We're looking for the break in the norm. If somebody does, sits there in an interview, pretty open and relaxed, body language, everything's going fine. We're identifying everything's going on. They start getting asked a question, say it's something personal. They kind of wrap their arms around themselves to to kind of protect themselves or massage, say, their ring finger if they're married, as an example, for comfort, or they anchor down. These all can be signs and indicators. Stands out more when it's not personal, when something is like, why would that cause that reaction? 
you know what you're looking for, and you see that break in their baseline behavior, and you know what the difference is. Okay, you see the break, but then let's say in this situation I described, you not only see the break, you see why it broke. You see these behaviors, these body language actions, these verbal statements. Then that can lead you down another path you may have missed. Do I need to entertain and engage this? Do I need to leave it alone? Do I need to back off? Do I need to dig further? If it was an interrogation, more than likely then or at some point we're going to go after it. Interview may not be the case. Now these breaks in the norms or expected behavior is an open door and a single but possible deception. Doesn't always mean it's deception. It could be something else. So just like the situation I described where you ask a question, they do all this protecting themselves, looking away. That may not be a sign of deception. It just may be an uncomfortable situation. Thing to remember too, while I'm using this example of an interview where I'm interviewing something, remember too that when you get interviewed, you can use all these skills to look at your interviewer or more than one if they're there, to kind of gauge their behavior, their reactions, how they're reacting to you and what you're saying to figure out whether or not you should be going down that path or change something you're doing. Doesn't mean you'll be right, but again, another tool you can use. The thing about these is it gives us the ability to forecast possibilities. The ability to forecast possibilities. Sounds like a good poem. Just like the law enforcement guy doing the investigation can forecast possibility or leads because of established trends and patterns, we can do the same with people. We can do the same with a grocery store. It could just be that you don't like to be around a lot of people. You don't know anything about Thanksgiving and you go to Wednesday at 10 a.m. to the grocery store like normal, but all of a sudden you see people everywhere, a line outside and the place packed. Unless you think there's something going on inside you want to take advantage of, you might say, wow, this baseline has changed. That's not really the word you use, but that's really what you're thinking. And then you choose to leave that situation. Think of it like instinct. Sometimes our instincts are about baseline changes. I've mentioned before, if something feels right, it probably isn't. Or probably is. If it feels wrong, it probably probably wrong. There's things we pick up on with people that are nonverbals that our brains are picking up on. Our brains have been trained subconsciously to pick up on, but consciously we don't know why. Something feels wrong, feels bad or your dog loves everybody but doesn't like this person, those are signals. Sometimes it's the baseline change of the situation or the individual. Something about the baseline's changed. The delivery man comes to your door, whether it's the same guy or a different guy, but something about his behavior tells you something's wrong, listen to your feelings. Might just be a baseline difference. Might be the way they're communicating. Might be their nonverbals. Might be all of those things. When doing research and looking at Analysis of information. There are baselines in information. For example, if you watch any legacy media in the United States or media anywhere, alternative blogs, doesn't matter what it is, there is a baseline to how they write, how they behave, and how they act. It's not just legacy mass media. Bloggers, what I call garbage junk conspiracy sites, they all have certain patterns that they follow. Conspiracies themselves have certain patterns they follow. There are things about conspiracy theories that based on how it's presented multiple times, I already have a pretty strong feeling whether or not it's garbage just based on the typical pattern it follows or how it's delivered. Now I still look into it. I just get highlighted the fact that this is following the same type of pattern. And then there's ones I see, whether people care about them or not, I go, this doesn't follow the typical conspiracy theory pattern. That's interesting. And I look into that one too and see why. It may turn out that one's garbage. It may turn out that it's not, not a bad theory. It might be completely viable. There's things about businesses, religion, specific industries, military, wherever you're at. 
There's baseline behaviors of people in the military, baseline behaviors of people in religion that we talked about, at business, at work. What's normal to that industry? You serve in the military, you know there's a basic baseline to say the army. I served in the army, then I go around the Navy guys. There's things I'll expect and I'll learn, hey, there's a lot of things that are similar and a whole lot of things are different because it's a whole other branch of the service. But I might go to somebody in the Navy that does the same job as I do and find out, wow, there's more norms here that are the same because we're different branches of the service, but we're doing the same job. And I might find there's some similarities there. Might find that that brings us closer together and makes it easier to work together. People in the military and all kinds of jobs have seen this happen. Now, what do we have to look out for? Well, as I was so kindly reminded today, one of the things we have to look out are our biases. Our biases are dangerous. Our biases are preconceived notions, even our beliefs, or more importantly, our familiarity. I've talked about before with body language and communication, about talking to kids is a good example. People we know real well, especially people we're in authority over, and the familiarity we have with them actually gives us a bias and preconceived notions sometimes that we're not aware of. Even if you've been right 100% of the time, doesn't mean you're going to be right this time and we forget to be objective, not realizing we've already decided the outcome and the answer. And then they react because they've also seen the outcome and the reaction. And their reaction sometimes is out of fear or apprehension of what's going on. But then the person approaching them sees them reacting that way, but takes it as a sign of, say, guilt or whatever the situation is. That's where our familiarity and our beliefs get us. So just like researching information, you got to go into it unbiased, be objective, treat everybody equally. The best thing you can do, especially with people, is if you're going to try to read body language or identify a baseline, look for nonverbal cues, detect deception, look for truthful inaccuracy, any of these types of skills we've talked about, go into an objective as though I've never met this person before. I don't know them. It's no different walking into a new place. You can be a person who's gone to a lot of different types of bars and clubs. You go to a new bar and a new club, there are certain expectations you may have based on the location and type of place it is that may taint you and direct you based on a bias to read things incorrectly. And that's what you have to look out for because all that historical information can help you look for things that might be or should be norms but you have to be aware of the things that could very obviously be different. So you go to small town USA in a very conservative state and you go to their bar, it's probably different than the big city club. There are norms that are going to be the same for primarily alcohol producing establishment, but there are things that can be different because of the societal culture that you're in. So if you can walk that line of identifying historical information you have, knowledge you already have with what are the cultural, societal differences that should also be expected? And you don't forget those. You may be more objective and ignore those biases. I talked about with law enforcement doing profiling, profiling of suspects, profiling of a, a scene based on the patterns. Same thing we used to do when we run sources or interrogate. However, profiling can be bad, especially racial profiling. Sure, there's statistics for all kinds of subjects that back up information based on crime or education, or business that are race-related or related to other things besides race. It's part of statistics. Could be gender this, gender that, this race, this religion. That's information that can be useful. But if you let that information drive you, as that's always going to be the case, then you'll become profiling people, not looking for patterns, 
establishing baselines and trying to determine the best course of action and where you need to go from there, you'll be looking at it as definitive. This is a guaranteed thing. Therefore, this is how I'm going to react to it. And then that may go wrong. That's one way law enforcement can go wrong. The military has done it. People do it in their everyday lives. So remember, it's a fine line. We're using knowledge the best we can to identify trends and patterns. What is expected behavior? What is consistent and reliable? While there's historical data on large groups of people, we're doing it by individual. If we're not doing it by individual, we're doing it by a group as a whole. So let's say you go to some sort of support group. There's a baseline to that group, just like there's a baseline to every individual in that group, or at least while they're with that group. If you don't see that individual outside of the group, you can't assume that the baseline you have on them in that support group is the same everywhere else. For some, it may very well be. For many, it will be different depending on where they're at. That is normal. It's just figuring out whether or not they're full of it, which is a whole other longer process. Some people are pretty much the same all the time. Some people are different based on their environment, normal and expected in both cases. Go to that support group. I've been to this type of support group before. Great. There's knowledge and history you have there, things you can expect. You have a known possible baseline standard. You go in, you look for little things, fine-tune that baseline. you got the group nailed down. But if you add into that too many beliefs that are based on your own preconceived notion, biases, cultural or societal norms, maybe just geography of where those previous groups were, and you walk into this one and bring them there and aren't cognizant of that fact, you'll ignore those same things that are present there for them, their culture, their societal norms, their geography, all kinds of things, and that can mess up your baseline. And that can cause you to actually not just make a bad decision because you're biased, it could cause you to reinforce your bias. It's actually another way to look at confirmation bias. You're trying to find things to support something you already think and believe. So watch out for the biases. So baseline, remember, it's a pattern, it's not a rule. The more information we have, the more we can establish or at least go in looking for a starting point baseline. So instead of trying to find 50 different pieces of information to create a baseline, we've got a general idea now based on this type of situation and environment and individual or group. Then you go in, you see how much of that still is pretty much the same. You fine tune it a little bit and then you can make better decisions. You can identify things quicker and easier. You can figure out what questions to ask. You can figure out what deception to look for. You can figure out what other patterns you want to look for. You can determine all kinds of things out of it, and that's the importance of a baseline. That's why it's used so heavily in marketing and advertising and stock trading and many other fields and variations in life. So that's the idea behind the baseline, the baseline I talk about all the time. When I establish a baseline on people, especially in important situations like interviews and interrogations, I usually do it in seconds or minutes, at least to a general consensus where I take pre-existing information and seconds verify a lot of it and minutes kind of lock it down. And I go from there. Now I have to be actively thinking about it. And there's some variation in that based on the situation, what I'm doing. But I have a lot of experience at it. Most people don't. So add this to your toolkit of everything you're doing. You've been looking for nonverbals, trying to read eyes, looking for detection, deception. Listen to the way people communicate, how they tell their stories. Is there too much prologue? Is there too much epilogue? Are they using qualifiers? All these things we've talked about all year. Now put all those different things together in a pattern. Find the patterns by the individual. Find the patterns by the individual based on the location. Find the patterns on the group, the group of people you work with. Just the group of people you work with that are having that conversation around the water cooler. If that guy Drew talks too much, or the way the bosses behave, or the way things are in this environment, or something about the holidays, 
what are those consistent patterns and realize that some of them are going to be different from what you're normally used to seeing, but they're okay because they're specific to say a holiday event or some other event, good or bad. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. I've been making notes. I got some more shows coming soon. We're going to start the new year with episode 51, just right around the corner. Don't forget to give us a like or share or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or any platform you're on. Share it with your friends if you think they're going to enjoy it. Feel free to use my contact information in the show notes to reach me on Twitter, Facebook, or my email with any questions or comments that you have, and I will address them. I get them all the time. I respond to a lot on email, so I'm going to bring up on the show. As a reminder, I still got some books to give away. I'm just waiting for those questions that are going to make me feel like I need to dedicate a whole show to it. Make me feel like I got to do the work, and I'm going to send you a free piece of literature that has something to do with detecting exception or body language. And I'm looking at getting some more books to do that in the future. I'm also working on the reading list, which seems to be growing. I'm trying to figure out how to do it to keep it <laughs> 10 categories or less. I'll probably create something and put it out on social media before I do a show. Yes, as always, I keep getting asked about YouTube. That is the plan. I have no idea when that plan is going to get executed, but I do want to get more into that. We definitely have more shows coming, especially ones on getting training and the Intelligence Networks Part 2 is definitely coming, and I got a couple others that I've been taking notes on and preparing for the last couple of days. So please give us a shout-out. Let us know you enjoy the show. Let me know you hate the show. That's fine, too. And we'll be here again for you shortly, right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.